Welcome to 239 Uncensored. Everything Southwest Florida and beyond with your host, Tim Jurett. This podcast covers it all. Real talk on issues from real estate to real crime. Join the discussion on hot topics to politics. Don't get left behind. Be in the know about everything Southwest Florida and beyond. Welcome, welcome, welcome to 239. That's Sensor Living Southwest Florida and beyond. And we have a great guest on today. Tim, are you there? We, we actually have you on, on in studio or out of studio, but in your studio at your house. Are you, are you we there? We have a great guest. This is exciting. Who do we have? Look at this. We've got Tim Constantine. And I'm sure most of you folks in Naples remember Tim as a great resident and one of our county commissioners. Tim, look at your look at your backdrop. You're like big time. It's uh, actually, I, you know, I do TV and radio. And so we have just built this TV studio. It's not quite ready yet. It's almost ready. So you are literally the first broadcast in our new studio. Yeah, we have just a little bit of an audio thing. So all the all the listeners have to bear with us you know how you know how that stuff goes with the you know earpieces and <clears throat> headphones and all that but we we got you so it's it's great having you on excellent thank you my friend yeah so let's just go a little bit about like how how your connection is with naples florida how i knew that you were down here now tim and i go way back we're from a little town bangor maine about thirty-five thousand people we went to high school together now he's much older than i am he's like Two years older, I believe. <laughs> He's much older. And uh, I, I, I got to tell you, there are days I wake up and I think I'm you. Uh, you know, we're both big Tim. We both grew up in Bangor on the west side. Uh, we, we went to Bangor High School. We went to St. Mary's Church. And then somehow we both foolishly ended up in Naples, Florida. So I'm, I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, are you Tim Jurette or are you Tim Constantine? <laughs> That's actually a good thing. And how how did I end up in Naples, Florida? I went in the military, came back from Germany, went to Homestead Air Force Base, talked to a guy one day, and he said, listen, I'm going to get out of the Air Force, and I'm going to be in the Florida Marine Patrol. I'm going to be on the water. So I go to the police academy. They had three positions in Collier County. I didn't even know where Collier County was, right? So I'm, I'm in Collier County. I'm getting up one day, and I, I see – Tim Constantine, I see, I think you were on the paper, either you're running or you were, you're big in the community. I remember prior to that in Golden Gate community. And I remember seeing you and I immediately called you up. I go, this is crazy. This is unbelievable. So yeah, it really it's, cool. uh, I, I went to school at the University of Southern Maine in Portland, Maine. And I love Maine. I love that. You know, I still go up in the summer. You and I go to the same lake in the summertime. Yes. And I still go into a beautiful place in July. It's not so beautiful in February. I don't ski. I don't skate. I never did. So when I graduated college, I graduated May 10th and May 12th, I was a resident of Florida. I, I, I applied that spring for one job. That's how sure I was I wanted to go to Florida. It wasn't even a great job. It was Bar Harbor Airlines, which was a main base dump right. over PBA, which was an airline that used to fly out of Naples and other places that that went bankrupt. And so Bar Harbor took them over and they needed somebody to run purchasing and uh, warranty and all that stuff. So I took that job simply to get me into warm weather. That got me to Naples. Yeah, that's amazing. And then, like you said, the Bar Harbor Airlines connection from Maine to Naples, Florida. And that's, and that's crazy. And then the next thing, how, how did you start getting involved in all the community stuff? I mean, where does that come from? 
You know, I, there's twofold there. One, the politics I love. I, I grew up, i tell you a funny story. When I was a kid, when I was like seven or eight years old, on Sunday morning, we would go to the 11 a.m. mass, which meant as a kid, you got two or three hours before you got to go. And my sister tried to settle in and watch reruns of I Love Lucy, and I wanted to watch Face the Nation. And my parents thought I was kidding. Like, they thought I was just antagonizing my sister, just picking something different. He wants to watch Face the Nation. And so they let her watch I Love Lucy. But I, literally, I rem as long as I remember, I've had this thing where I love politics. And, and I remember sneaking out of bed at night and going to, I was, uh, I think, nine years old when Nixon resigned. And he went on television I went to bed at whatever age that was at like 7.30 at night. You get up. And <laughs> I got up and snuck in and watched my little parents' black and white, you know, 18-inch TV in their bedroom so I could see Nixon resign. And it just uh, – so when I got to, to Naples, I knew I wanted to do things, and I, I volunteered in, with the Republican Party. I was president of the Young Republicans and did all those things. Uh, but I really liked – trying to make a difference, Golden Gate's a working class community. And to, sometimes they didn't get their due in Golden Gate. You know, they, they kind of get brushed aside. So I was president of the Golden Gate Civic Association. I was on the Golden Gate Chamber of Commerce. I was just trying to do things to help the community I lived in. Yeah, no, that's big. And then back then, I think if you didn't have that push and that support back then, I think it would be a much different community than what it is today because Golden Gate is, is thriving and flourishing and, you know, the same folks are still pushing, you know, the Tufts are there, uh, Katie and, and Russell, and it's just, it's just a, a great community. But I think some of the things that you did and we all did, I actually was a commander out there as, as a district commander. The things we did out there were able to take Golden Gate to the next level. And I think, I don't, I don't know if you realize, but they're taking that uh, area back by the quality Inn, and they're making a, a golf complex out there and they're building a bunch of things. So it's, it's some, definitely some uh, progress, you know, as you, well, as you we like to see it. Yeah. Which is good, which is good. But yeah, so I'm down here and I see Tim. Um, I watched, you know, your, your campaign going through. I even got to go to your wedding, which was really nice. And then just, you being here kind of made me feel a little bit closer to home, I guess, per se. And we, we used to hang out a little bit. And, and then you had, a, you had a great radio talk show. Tell us a little bit about that because I'm kind of like doing this stuff for the fun. And you're, you're like the pro. Well, I don't know about that, but somewhere I've stumbled into some good things along the way. But, yeah, I did. I, it was funny. Um, WGUF was a jazz station, and Tony Renda owned the station and he decided to flip it and try to do talk. He wanted to compete with WNOG at the time was the big deal. Right. right. And uh, it was a great guy named Rich King used to do the afternoon drive for yes. WNOG. And the, they, I don't know how to say it, the, the afternoon show on WGUF wasn't very good when they started. So I was near the end of my second term on the commission and I, I was trying to think, all right, what am I going to do when I leave? And, uh, I went to the general manager who I didn't know at all, but I went in and I just said, Hey, I used to do radio when I was a kid. I started Tim when I was in like eighth grade at yeah. uh, WHSN and then later WGY and WIGY in Maine. But I said to him, I used to do radio and I would love to do so. He sat me in and let me do a couple of test runs and called me a few days later and said, how'd you like to do the afternoon drive? And within six months, we had the number one show in Naples. So 
Um, it, it went really well. I loved doing that. It was a great community flavor. We mixed local politics and humor and just foolishness, silliness. You know, it was it was a nice mix, a lot of fun. Yeah, I remember that show. It was great. I think I, you had me on one time and get to talk a little bit about law enforcement and things like that. And it was great because, you know, you really had the opportunity to really find out what was going on. And you, you talk to the local leaders and, you know, all that stuff. So that really, you really helped. But I, I don't see a lot of that happening anymore. I mean, I, maybe I'm just out of it. No, it's, it's what makes things like your podcast so good, though, is it used to be whether you went to Bangor or you went to Naples or you went anywhere, there was local community radio. And they don't do that anymore for a variety of reasons. But they, you've lost in most communities, you've lost that local voice. And so, uh, you know, if there's a show like yours, my old producer, I had a talk show in St. Augustine and they, my producer there now has the 904 now. Pete and I have worked together for years, but I go on and guest once in a while on his show and, and he has thousands and thousands and thousands of people that follow him because there is no other local source to follow. So it's what you're doing and it's what he's doing. And I, there's definitely a need for it. There's definitely a hunger for it in every community in America. Yeah. You know what? I find it really, really interesting because I try to make the 239 podcast, 239 Uncensored, a little bit fun. You know, we, we say we're uncensored. We might say a cuss word here and there, but that's not what it's all about. It's about a lot of the people, the guests we have on are local charities and people trying to get things going. And, you know, every now and then we we have a good time with it and, you know, we ha- we, we laugh. But it's it's I think it's people can start to identify with other people that are they hear them on the radio. And I think the podcast thing is money because really, if you think about it, we don't really have time to always listen when we want to listen. Right. So I think to be able to have that on demand and listen when you want and say, Hey, I'm going for a little jog. I'm going to listen to two, three, nine, or I'm going to listen to Tim Constantine or, or, you know, whoever, I think that podcast thing is, is really a big thing, obviously. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a great thing we do. Uh, I, one of the things I do now, I have a regular radio show, but we also do a podcast for the Washington times. And it, it's exactly what you described. People can pick it up and, and, they, they may listen on their drive into work in the morning. They may listen you know, whenever they want to listen, but uh, delivering, hopefully, content they want to hear, but they can hear it on their schedule. Yeah, yeah. So give me a little bit. Now, we know some of your past and, and you know, what you've meant for Collier County and kind of pushed that through, and then you've moved on to bigger and better things. You're in uh, working in Washington. What, what are you doing now, like, give me a little rundown of Tim Constantine's day. Sure. I write for the Washington Times. I do the podcast for the Washington Times. I own and produce the Capitol Hill Show, which is a radio broadcast that goes all over the country. Uh, and then I do some writing for uh, other folks in D.C. as well. That's that's exciting. So how is podcasting and how has the broadcasting industry changed in the last you know 10 years or five years even or even the last couple of years? How has it changed? You know, it's a great sorting out period. And and by that, I mean, if you look at any change in communication, when movies first started, or when radio first started, or when television first became prominent, you know, in the 50s, let's use TV for the example, in the 50s, there was some, some entertaining TV and some, you know, we're not so sure TV, but it was all there was. And so, 
there was like a sifting out process. And then by 1960 or the early 60s, televisions exploded. In a period of about two years, it went from 600,000 homes to millions and millions and millions of homes. And so they had kind of learned how it worked and put together, a, a, you know, better programming. And all of a sudden through the 60s, you had Adam 12 or you had, you know, I Dream of Genie. But you had a, a more polished product, if you will. And I, you would never have gotten there if you hadn't had everything you had in the 50s, which was less polished, but I think more genuine, maybe more, more authentic. And so I think we're in that process now. Broadcasting or radio had gotten a little stale, in my opinion, because you had these, it used to be, as you and I talked about, every community did their own thing. And so you had a different flavor in different places. But as all these giant corporations brought up hundreds of radio stations, you lost that local flavor, not only on talk radio, but whether that's rock and roll, whether that's country and Western, whether it doesn't matter. It was the same 20 songs being played in 300 communities now instead of a program director in Bangor, Maine, thinking, you know what, I think our people might like this song and picking something right. unique. So a lot of that got lost with corporate radio and corporate TV. Your local TV stations are all are almost all owned by national groups now. So podcasting is that next frontier, and we're in that sifting process where there's some great content like your show the local programs that actually reach out to the communities and then there's some iffy stuff and the world <laughs> will sort it out you know if people embrace and love what i'm calling iffy stuff so be it you know that's the beauty of it is people can choose to watch it or not but it's original content it's new stuff it's it's different and i think that's exciting and over the next few years that'll sift itself down to where you'll have less choices maybe but i think Right now, it's a very exciting time. Podcasting is an exciting Yeah, and I think the little niches, like you said, you, I, I go through the podcast and I, I search for different types of podcasts. There's something out there for everybody. I mean, if you're if you're into creating mugs, I'm sure there's a podcast that will teach you how to, you know, how to make a mug and put your, you know, your logo on it or something like that. Ceramics uncensored. Ceramics uncensored. There's something out there, so it kind of it's kind of neat. So you can kind of go through and, and and see some of the things. And that, you know, that ventures to ask. I know you're a huge um, fan of music, and I've known you. F- like that forever uh, i remember eddie money days you know bringing eddie money you know eddie money or knew eddie money um yeah. you just were always involved in some type of music where are you now with that i mean I, I see you with your son going to concerts i mean you're old you're still doing it i am old i'll give you that you got that one right uh i i love shows i love live music is my favorite form of entertainment just in and- that this weekend that was awesome up there we yeah. went, uh, we went, my, my wife and my son and I just went to the Rolling Stones in Atlanta three weeks ago. I saw that. And I have been to fantastic shows all my life. I've seen all kinds of great stuff from Pink Floyd to Bob Seger to younger bands and, and all different walks. I will tell you that particular Rolling Stone show is, if it's not the best show I've ever seen, it's got to be close. It was really, really, really fun. 55,000 people packed in, Stones doing what they do and uh, great time. But yeah, I, I've always loved that. I, I, one of the most enjoyable things I ever got to do, and this was in my Naples days, I had a TV show there uh, called Two Tickets with Constantine. And I would schedule mostly classic rock artists, but bands I grew up with, Cheap Trick or Sammy Hagar or Bob Seger or later Kid Rock or different 
different bands and they'd come on the show. We'd do an interview. They'd do like a little acoustic thing and then we'd have some comedy at the end of the show. But the fun part of that for me, the most fun part of that was seeing these artists play, you know, music that was just so familiar that it was hardwired into your head. Right. Seeing the human being that created it, play it right in front of you on some stripped down version and be fantastic. You would see the talent pouring out of them. You know, it was really, really fun. I did that for three years. Yeah. And I think today, cause I listen to some of the music that's out there today and I'm not, and, and I listen to it and it's, it's entertainment, but to see those guys from old school rockers play and watch, you know, watch them play guitar, for instance, and just comes out some of the music you hear today. It's, it's so, you know, processed and, you know, tone and they have all kinds of different things going for them. It's just not the same. And, and my I, preference you, is oh, if some guys like you and me and your brother and some other guys could get together in a garage and play it and create something, then I think, wow, you know, and you, you may or may not be a U2 fan. Yeah. I, I like U2. But what I love about U2 most is they were 14, 15, 16, and 17. They're all a year apart. They were 14 through 17 years old and got together at the drummer's house because his dad had some equipment. And they've been playing since, you know, they're our age. And they've been playing together ever since. But it's some guys that hardly knew how to play when they started became, you know, for their era, the biggest band in the world. And that's what's cool to me. But I will tell you this, there's some good rock and roll bands out there now, younger bands. The Struts is a band that if you took Rolling Stones and Queen and David Bowie and put them in a blender and poured them out in the year 2020, that's the Struts. It's a modern, classic rock band. Or the Glorious Sons, great band out of Canada that uh, I had a great chance to meet and chat with. Oh, I was going to say a year ago, had to be two two years ago with COVID. But um, again, just great rootsy rock and roll by guys that are 25 years old. You know, I'd love to hear it coming up. Yeah, no, and, and and I agree. Just to watch, I like I said, I was in Nashville this weekend and just sit there and listen and watch the talent that these people have. And it's funny because, like, if you're in Nashville, you go to the place where you least expect it, and that's probably where you're going to find maybe the most talented person in the whole place. You go in 7-Eleven in Nashville, and there's somebody there playing guitar and singing. It's the best. I love Nashville. Yeah, I know. It's great. So another cool thing that a lot of people don't know about me, Naples-wise, is when I was a kid, I used to work at this at the place that Tim knows well and probably – watched a lot of concerts. I used to work at the Bangor Auditorium. Now, the Bangor Auditorium was home to, back then it was WWF or it was Worldwide Wrestling. And all these wrestlers used to come in. You know, I used to know them all. I mean, personally, Chief J Strongbow. Chief J Strongbow. Yes, Andre the Giant. I mean, they would come in and say, hey, Tim, what are you doing? I only had one guy, Roddy Roddy Piper, that would come in. He was like putting on his show for me. I'm like, dude. I'm like, you're back there talking to your buddy, and you're. I, I was like 17 years old, 15 years old, making $20 a night. But the cool thing was, is I actually got to see almost every band Aerosmith, Blue Oyster Cult, Fog Hat. They would rent, they rented the Bangor Auditorium. Okay. Fog Hat rented the Bangor Auditorium for like almost three weeks so they could practice for their tour. I and did not know that. That's the great. first concert I ever went to, by the way, was Fog Hat. Fog Hat. Yes, it was unbelievable. So every night they needed someone to be in the building, and for some reason they put a 15-year-old in charge of that situation. <laughs> so I was up at the you know, 
uh, Keith, Kerry Wilson, the late great Kerry Wilson, he gave me the keys to the place and said, lock this place up when it goes. They were playing. I was, I've got to listen to all their music for like almost three weeks in a row. And then concert came was their first night there. It was kind of like a, a practice because it was a cheap place for them to, you know, set up. Yeah. But I did not know that. You taught me something new about the history of the amazing historical building that is gone now called the Bangor Auditorium. Yeah. And they all say that's like the worst sound of all time in that building. I mean, it's like terrible. Yeah. They could never get the sound right for Everything it. Everything about that building was bad, but boy, did I love it. And you know what? It's pretty cool, too. Another story. George Thurgood. Uh, you, you maybe saw him at the Bangor Auditorium. Uh-huh. But George Thurgood was playing and they used only half of the auditorium and they brought down this big screen. So I look up. I'm at the front. I'm in the front office at the Bangor Auditorium. And guess who walks in? Stephen King. So I'm like, Stephen King walked in to George Thurgood. And Stephen King didn't pay, you know, because uh, bad to the bone. And, you know, his, you know, he was friends with George Thurgood. And he yeah, goes, I, I believe don't... they used several George Thurgood songs in Stephen King movie. Christine, I believe. A couple, bad to the bone, all that stuff. So it was great. So all Stephen King said to me was, listen, I need to go back to see George. And again, Kerry Wilson, Keith Wilson's dad goes, hey, take him back. So we were actually going in this place where nobody really knew existed at the Bangor Auditorium. It was like a tunnel. And Stephen King looked at me and said, what the fuck? What, what's up with this place? He goes this, this, he goes, this is unbelievable. This is scary as hell. I go, I looked at him and go, if I can scare Stephen King and take him to a place that's scary, I'm pretty good. You know, so I'm doing okay. I'm yeah, doing so I, all right. I drop them See, off. I, I have a great Bangor Auditorium. For people that aren't from there, it was a V-shaped building. There were zero seats on either end, just V-shaped on the side of a basketball court or stage or whatever was there. Terrible and construction. It, it held, what, 6,000, 6,100, something like that. Yeah, close. And when I, I, a friend of mine, when I was young, Mark Trafton, his dad, Baxter yeah. Trafton, that is the worst name I've ever heard in my life. Who says, hey, what a beautiful baby. Let's Baxter. name him Baxter. Um, Baxter, who just died last year. Great guy. Anyway. Turned out to be Baxter, a big deal. Yeah. Baxter, later president of the Cleveland Cavaliers. But yeah. Baxter ran the Bangor Auditorium. And so Mark and I would go down and play one-on-one basketball in the empty auditorium with everything echoing around, pretending we were playing in front of a full, full house. And, you know, the crowd's cheering and so on. That was a lot of fun down there at the, the old Bangor Auditorium. Hey, I got a question from the wrestling side. Did you meet the Valiant Brothers? Yes, I did. I did. Not yes. Nice guys, bad guys? What were they? they so here's, here's what was funny is good when guys? they'd come in – They'd come good guys. They would come in and a lot of people and I had to I still have to tell my one of my really good friends that wrestling is not real. So <laughs> he's got like every belt. I go, dude, that's not real. You know, he's like, no, I know, I know, but I really like it. So those guys used to come in the back door and they were laughing, joking, you know, going back and forth, locker room to locker room. They these guys, this is a grind for them. They made like no money back then. It was like it was like terrible. These guys would be beat up. Andre the Giant, I still remember him. He kicked the taxi cab door and it almost knocked the damn door off. So they walk in the back, the Valiant Brothers, they would walk in the back and everybody was like talking, shooting the shit. And then the next thing you know, they go through, because the auditorium had like maybe 25 doors on each side. It was like just a big 
stretch of doors and they'd be out watching, you know, they'd have to see when I need to come in because they would always come in the ring and attack somebody and, and things like that. So they'd be like talking bullshit. And the next thing you know, they're, they're in the ring, like yelling and screaming. And there's, there's always the same people there. Every, every wrestling and the same people, but they'd be laughing. And then next thing you know, they're in the ring and it was, it was great. It was like my brother and I, you know, awesome. uh, women's sunglasses that are way oversized. My yes. mom would have cheap throwaway women's sunglasses and so my brother and I would put the old sunglasses on and strut around and be Johnny and Jimmy Valiant. Valiant. We were the Valiant brothers. <laughs> Valiant brothers. The, one of the coolest guys was that I met, and I don't know if you remember him, Bob Bob Backlund. You remember yeah. him, he, Bob Backlund? And he had like this. He had he tried to promote this roller wheel, and I you know he do all these roller things and he showed me how to do that thing, man. And I was like, this, this guy's crazy. He just sat down and whipped out like a hundred, and I did like three. You know, and that was a pretty good change back then. <laughs> that was some good days. Bangalore Auditorium. It's it's all it's a beautiful building now. This uh, the Bangalore Auditorium has been changed now, so it's um. It's a modern day down. civic center. It's yeah, modern day. I saw Bob Singer play in the new building. Yeah, I've never I've never been inside, so I had some really uh, good. I'll numbers. tell you what. Next summer, I'm totally serious. Next summer, when you're in Maine and I'm in Maine, I will give you a tour, a behind the scenes tour of the new okay. auditorium, new, uh, new civic center. Yeah, that's awesome. Got the connections. Got the connections. Well, a lot of good, a lot of good things. It's been great having you on. This is this is awesome. I don't think we just need to limit to this one time. Pleasure, Tim. It's always great to see you, whether it's having a beer at, at the lake or whether it's on on uncensored. Yeah. You know, and I appreciate it because every year you always have a get together. Usually, uh, a get together, and I always like try to try try to time it up this year. I was off a little bit, but you know, I really want to make sure I get to one of those one time. And, and you're, it's really good to see, you know, how you, you enjoy your family and have a good time up there. I, I, what really frustrates me is I'm, I'm a maniac and some people I know go up there and I don't like it. I love Maine. There's like, it's like, it's, it's just such a relaxing place, you know? Well, and, and people are different and you know, people, someone watching will say, yeah, 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 sure. But people are different, and I'll give you a funny example, is I drive in D.C., you have to be aggressive in the metro area. You know, people are cutting you off, people are honking their horn, everybody's angry, they're flipping you off. Everybody's on edge when they're driving. And so I go to Bangor, pull in, and the first day or so, I'll kind of, you know, like, you cut somebody off or you jump in, and people are like, go ahead, go ahead, please, go Nobody cares. They're all so relaxed and polite and friendly. And then I feel like a total ass because I've got someone off. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, wait, I'm back home. Everybody's nice here. But it's, there's a whole relaxed way of life there. And it's just, oh, my gosh, it's the best. I wish it wasn't minus 1,000 degrees in the winter. I know. That's, that'd be tough. That'd be, you know, you go back there for a couple of days and you're like, oh, God, it's, it's too cold in the wintertime. It's crazy. Sometimes in the summer evenings, it gets cool too. But you know, you know, one of the things that I really, and just throw this out there is, is when people go into like a convenience store, they'll leave the car running in, you know, when they get out and go inside and I'm like, I'm like, what are you leaving your car running for? I mean, try that down at, you know, even Naples, you try that down here, you're going to, things are going to get stolen. Naples, I had my car stolen twice. I yeah. know. Yeah. You used to have those, uh, those convertibles, right? I yeah. think you told me like, yeah, kids used to be able to steal those things so quick. It was fun. Yeah, one of the one of the officers who responded when they found my car the first time, he said, "No, no, come here, I'll show you with these Chrysler products. Yeah, it's really easy." And I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Oh, if you're ever being chased, just jump in a, a by bad guys 
jump in a Chrysler and do this. And he shows me, and it was so easy. It was ridiculous. Yeah, kids were taking those things left and right. It was crazy, yeah. crazy, crazy. Well, Tim, I'd like to thank you. And, uh, you know, I'd love to get you on again. And it's great. It's great having you. And the people I know in Naples are going to definitely love to hear this. So we're, we're probably going to have high numbers with Tim Constantine. I hope so. Thank you, my friend. A pleasure you say the word. I'm happy to chat with you again. You got it, buddy. Two through nine uncensored, everything Southwest Florida and beyond, and we are out. Please make sure to download and listen to us on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Don't forget to like and share on social media. This has been a Studio 239 production. That was fun.